Have you ever heard yourself say to somebody, grow up? Well, you have, haven't you? Maybe you've said it to your children. Sometimes we do, don't we? Um, maybe you've said it to a friend. Um, maybe you've said it to your husband or your wife. Now, of course, when we say grow up, what we really mean is act your age. We don't suddenly expect them to take on a number of years in an instant. We just want them to act their age, don't we? We're effectively saying, be what you are. Please, just be what you are. I used to teach in a primary school, and one of the, um, one of the teaching techniques that I used to have most fun with, I used to most enjoy, went something like this. You set the children a piece of work to do, um, probably a large piece of writing, for example, and then collect it all in. Uh, and then mark it, and invariably it wasn't, wasn't that good. Um, and you, you sort of, your head, you put your head in your hands and you feel, oh, I know they can do better than this. It wasn't all that good, especially Jacks. You know, every class has got a Jack, haven't they? You know? um, it takes Jack half an hour to write three words. You know? Sam was scared. And it's half an hour's worth of work. But you know, you know Jack's worked really hard. He's probably worked harder than Hannah, who's, who's done four pages of writing. And it's all perfect. And, uh, and, and all the punctuation and everything. Right? Jack's trouble is that he's, he's hit a glass ceiling. He's been told that he was rubbish so many times that he's begun to believe that about himself. You see that in people, don't we? How do you get Jack to achieve what you know he's capable of. Well, you could shout, of course, as a teacher, but that never really works. This always worked better. I would get Jack's work, and, and I would take his sentence, and I would rewrite it. I would rewrite it how I knew he wanted to say it. And the next day, you'd go something like this. The kids would come in, and you'd say something like, Children, I was so impressed with your writing yesterday. It was fabulous. And I want to pick out for you one particular example. Jack. This is what Jack wrote. Walking through the dark, fearsome forest, Sam froze suddenly as he felt something unfamiliar brush against his cheek. And little Jack sat there, and he's beaming from ear to ear. And he's thinking, did I write that? Did I really write that? And everybody else is looking and sort of their jaws are dropped and they're looking at Jack. <gasps> wow! And Jack's thinking, I'm, 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 not gonna, I'm not letting on, it wasn't me. This is fantastic. And I know that sounds like a bit of a dubious teaching technique, but let me tell you this, the next time Jack's writing was always better. Was always better. And so too was everyone else's. You see, it was there all along. It just needed something to unlock it. Something to help him be what he really was inside. And you know, I think that is exactly how these verses that we've had read to us are supposed to work in us and that I'm hoping to show you this morning. Peter, who wrote this letter, wants us to be what we are. Right in the middle of those verses, Peter makes what must be one of the most important statements about what a Christian is. He wants us to know what we are. He says, you've been born again by the living and abiding word of God, which lasts forever. And he says, that is what you are. 
And because that is what you are, then it is possible to love one another here at Speak Baptist Church sincerely, deeply, from the heart. It is possible and it's essential. It's effectively a call to be what we are. If you want a a big idea for these, these verses that we've looked at, it's effectively be what you are. And I should say that we're really looking at verses 22 down to chapter 2, verse 3. And I'll explain that in a moment as to why I asked Marion to read a little bit uh, before that. But I know we've got some visitors here today, so just a bit of background, just so that you're up to speed with where we're at. This is, as we said, a letter by Peter. And Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Um, And he's writing to the early Christian churches in what is modern-day Turkey. And right off the bat, right from the beginning, we know that getting who we are right is really important to Peter. Chapter 1, verse 1. If you were here on that first week, you'll remember um, Steve opening that up. Peter says Christians are elect strangers. Chapter 1, verse 1. And it's so important. It rings out across the whole letter. And I think it might be helpful to think of the letter in two parts. In the early chapters, Paul wants us to know the fantastic truth of who we are. That's really important to him. And so we're reminded that we are those with a living hope, a glorious future inheritance, a joyful life now. We are those with God himself as our Father. We've been rescued by the precious blood of Christ. This is all about our identity, and Peter wants us to know with certainty. And all of those things we've tasted and enjoyed in the last few weeks. So we are elect, but they're also strangers. And so in chapters 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, as we go through the letter, we're going to see how the identity of who we are is worked out in a place where we are strangers. And I want to remind us as a church that Peter's goal is always outward-looking. You know, when you talk about who we are, it sounds very inward-looking, navel-gazing, doesn't it? But Peter says in chapter 2, verse 11, and it's a key verse in the book, if you've got your your, your Bible open, have a look at it. It's only on the next page, chapter 2, verse 11. It's so that others, this knowing who we are, is so that others will see this identity in action, who we are in action, and glorify God themselves. It's always about reaching out for us, if you like, reaching out to the people of speak. And it's really important, Peter says, that we really get clear who we are. So the first thing I want us to notice that Peter says uh, from these uh, verses is, is there in verse 22. The first uh, lesson, if you like, is this. Peter says, your or my love for others at Speak Baptist Church, for one another at Speak Baptist Church, is the mark and the measure of our faith. Your love for the people who are sat among you here in Steve Baptist Church is the, is the mark and the measure of your Christian faith. Let's have a look at that. Verse 22. Let me, let me show you why this is what it's saying here. Peter says, Now that you have purified yourself, that's telling us that what Peter's about to say is to do with growing and making progress. In other words, what he's saying is, having taken in everything that I've said so far, and that's why I asked Marion to read from verse 17, because actually, verse 22 comes after verses 1 to 21, and they're all important. Peter said, 
having taken into consideration all of those things I've told you about who you are so far, then he goes on, by obeying the truth, and I take that to be shorthand for what he said in chapter 1, verse 2, obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. He's doing what we ought to be doing, but remembering all the time that we are sinners saved by grace, and we can't do it alone. So now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for each other. Did you see that? Peter says, so that. So, in other words, it's telling us the result, the goal, the evidence of my obedience of faith, of my Christian life, if you like, will be sincere love for the church family here. And so he says, love one another deeply, from the heart. He says, go ahead, do it. Do what you are. Do what you've become. Love one another deeply, from the heart. Peter says, our love for one another here in this place, we want to be specific, but we could take Christians more generally. But even if we were to focus it onto this specific place today, love for the one another in the pews here is the mark and the measure of our faith. So what does that kind of love look like? Well, Peter doesn't spell it out exactly, does he? Because I think it's going to be different for each of us. Peter does say it's sincere. In other words, it's love for others, not for my sake. My love is so often insincere. I love others for what I get back from them. But it's a love which is focused entirely on the other person. It's love for love's sake, if we want to call it that. And it's got to have more to do with just a chat over coffee, hasn't it, after the service. What does it look like? What does this kind of love that Peter's talking about look like? Well... We could look at verses in, in the letter here itself that mention one another. Um, and I, I, I we'll just do that briefly, but we haven't got time to do it all because there's lots of references in here to one another. And it's something that you can do, I'd encourage you to do um, later in the week, uh, is to look up all the places where in 1 Peter it's, it uses the phrase one another. And that will help us to begin to understand what Peter's driving at, what this love looks like. But here's one example. Chapter 4, verse 8. Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Do you remember those cartoons? Um, my uh, parents used to enjoy them as I was growing up. Love is. Do you remember the, the characters? There's the, the, the fella and the lady. And, uh, yeah, a few of you not yet. And uh, they appeared in the newspapers, didn't they? Love is. And it was always something kind of um, a bit wishy-washy. Now, here's one. Love is wishing on a new moon together. It's lovely, isn't it? It's lovely. And it's lovely and wishy-washy, and we love that sort of thing. Of course, uh, it sounds very romantic. But what does Peter say love is here? Is that the kind of love that he's talking about when he says love one another within the church family here? Well, actually, um, since love covers a multitude of sins, he says, well, I think it's more to do with this. Um, love is covering over the sins of those who've hurt you. Covering over the sins of those that, that have hurt you by forgiving them. Even when what they did to you was clearly wrong. But you're going to cover over those for the sake of love. When did you last forgive someone here who hurt you, even wrongly hurt you, and you know the pain of how that feels inside, 
When did you last do that? Just for love's sake. Just for the sake of this kind of love that Peter's talking about. Or is it more like, are you more like me? It's more of a grudging forgiveness rather than a deep and sincere kind of love that Peter's talking about. Did you, did you go to them and make it up even though you were the one that was hurt or wronged? Did you lift them up and restore them in their own eyes? Or did you make it feel like, well, I'm going to forgive you, but you still owe me one? Or did you just cover over it in that beautiful and wonderful way that uh, Peter's talking about here? Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. And how did Jesus say we are to love one another? He said it in the next verse, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Wow. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Think about how Jesus loved the disciples. How did he love them? He loved them unconditionally. No strings attached. He loved them patiently. He loved them practically. He loved them permanently. And that's Jesus' love for you. Now if you're a visitor here today, I want to say that you may not have seen this kind of sincere love in churches. It wouldn't surprise me at all. You may have witnessed malice. You might have witnessed hypocrisy. You know what I mean? But Christians are just such hypocrites. They, they say they love, but look what they do within their own, even, even to one another in that way. Uh, and more than likely, if you've seen that, you're going to think, well, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I don't want any of that. But that's not the love that Peter's talking about here. That's not real. That's not real, the real love that Peter's talking about. That's not authentic at all. It's almost certainly because the people that you've seen don't appreciate who they actually are. You see, Peter says that for a Christian, that kind of sincere, deep love is possible when we realise that we've been born again through the living and enduring Word of God. And that's the second lesson. That sincere love, like we've just looked at briefly, is possible when we realise that we've been born again through the living and enduring word of God. Have a look at verse 23. See what it says there. Love one another deeply from the heart, Peter says, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Christian, Peter wants to remind you that what has happened to you is such a transformation. It's so irreversible. It's so fundamental to what you are and what you've become. That the only word that we can use to describe it is to be born again. I mean, what a ridiculous idea is that? How can anybody be born again? But that's the whole point. He wants us to see that what's happened to you is so un absolutely upside down transformational but that is exactly what you've become you've been if you like renatured you've been completely and utterly changed irreversibly changed and that's a good job isn't it if we know what we're like in ourselves each day it's happened he says it's not going to change you have been renatured he says and it happened and it only ever happens Verse 23, through the living and enduring word of God. Through the, through the truths that we find here. Opened up and preached on a Sunday. Gossiped in the week among the people that we're with. Shared over a text message. Um, or however, 
the many, many ways in which we're able to show people the gospel through, through our talking and our action. That is how people are saved. Through the enduring truth of the word of God. And what is it that this word of God, this Bible, what is it that it all points to? It's quite simply, there's one and only, there's only one story that the Bible is telling, isn't it? And it's the story that, that you and I are born into a world which God made good, very good, but in which people like you and I are spoiled because of what the Bible talks about, our sin, our desire to be kings of our own world, rulers in God's place. And so we spoil ourselves and we spoil the world that we live in. And the, the result of that is death. But God so loved you and I in this world that he made. He didn't leave us like that. He sent his son Jesus into the world. He lived a perfect life. And when he died on the cross, he took the punishment that you and I deserve so that we might be with him forever. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the word by which people are saved. Nobody is ever saved any other way than by that wonderful, wonderful word. That word has life. By it, men and women, boys and girls are born again. They're born again by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. And Peter says it's an enduring word. We need it every day, don't we? We need it every day. We need to be reminded again and again of that wonderful truth. Peter has more to say in verse 24. He says, he says, For all people are like grass, and all their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord endures forever. I brought these out of my garden. When we moved in a couple of weeks ago, these were looking really good. Look at them now. Has anybody else got these in their garden at the moment, looking a little bit like this? My wife wouldn't be very happy if I gave her those. These are lovely daffodils. And when we moved in, they look fantastic, glorious. But Peter says we've got to look at things like this. We've got to look at life like that. They looked glorious and wonderful two weeks ago. But now they've just faded, haven't they? And they're, they're dead. They're dead. All people are like grass, Peter says. And their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is hopeless, isn't it? This, this ought to make us... It's a hopeless picture, isn't it? We ought to feel the despair of it. We ought to feel, give me something that will last. Give me something that will last. I want to last. There must be something that will last. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It does. The word of the Lord, what he has said, endures forever. That lasts. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing more relevant. There's nothing more important than this news, is there? That lasts. There's nothing more important than Jesus Christ and faith in him to which this all points. Everything else is fading away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word, Peter says, that was preached to you. Excitedly, this is the word that was preached to you. Christian, you and I, we need to take this to heart because this is who we are. This is your identity. Born again, you have been. Renatured. 
by the living word that lasts forever. And what God has done in you, he can and will do in others. So it ought to be a motivation for us to tell the good news. I can't think of anything more likely to motivate me to open my mouth than to know that people are born again only by the living and enduring word of God. That ought to be the highest motivation for us to share that truth with others. And Peter said this truth should motivate us to love as well. Tell others, but it should motivate us to love within the church family. Verse 23 says, love one another for you've been born again. So how is the fact that we've been born again through this living and enduring word, how is that supposed to be grounds for loving one another? What, what, how, how is it that Peter says that? Well, I take it it works like this. When I think about what God has done for me, when I really think of how he saved me through the Lord Jesus Christ, causing me to be reborn in that transformational way, in an irreversible way, in an absolutely fundamental way, when I think about what he's done to me, and then I look around at my family, my church family, when I look around at, uh, when I look at Marion, when I look at John, when I look at Kosh, when I look at Nathan, when I look at Kaylee, and I think, God's done the same for them. He's transformed them and changed them. Well, how can I not love them? When I think about what he's done for me, and then I think, he's done that for them too. But of course they're my family. Of course I want to love them. Of course I want to pour myself out for them. Have you ever tried it? Maybe you should try it now. Just, just have a look around at your church family. If you're here from Steve Baptist Church, is it possible that knowing what God has done for you in transforming you utterly and completely, you're able to look at the people around you and are you able to look at them with a new light? The way that says, yeah, I can, I can love you. I can love you because I see that what God has done in me is done in you too. And that connects us. It makes us so, so wonderfully connected. Well, you're, 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 I think you're, you're being terribly English. Can you look around at one another? Can you see that? Does it work in your heart? Can you look at one another and see that? Do you feel that connection? It's hard, isn't it? But it starts with recognising our identity, really being sure ourselves that that is who we are. And I think I have to recommend to you the idea of asking one another how you became a Christian, because that's helpful as well. Now, when was the last time you, you, you asked people here, how did you become a Christian? Because when we think about how we became a Christian, and they tell us how they became a Christian, and we become excited about what God has done for them in their life, and, and the Lord connects us together in that closeness that, that enables us to do that sincere love from the heart, if we keep working at that. And so this week, I want to, I want to recommend that to you, and in the sheets that, 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 that Joe kindly puts together for the week, I've recommended if you spend time with a Christian and you haven't asked them before, ask them, how did you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Because I think God works through that, that connection. As we think about what he's done for us and we listen to what he's done for them and then we become connected and we begin to be the... That, that makes the channel in which we're able to love them deeply, sincerely, from the heart. If we take it to heart, it'll transform the way we look at people. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert, really. Uh, I find it difficult being around people. But I can go into a room of people um, and I feel a little bit nervous. But if they're not Christians, I can think to myself, this word 
that has saved me can save them. And that will help me as an introvert. It helps me with my conversations. It excites me to to love them and to to tell them this, this good news. And if I go into a room and they're all Christians like I did this week, and I feel daunted, and I feel a little bit nervous and a little bit intimidated, and I need to tell myself, think about what the Lord has done for you. You've been transformed by the living word of God, renewed, renatured. And these people in front of you are just the same. Now I can love them. Now I can go into their company and it doesn't exhaust me because they're my brothers and sisters and I can love them in that way. Well, briefly, I'm going to finish off verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2. Would somebody just read those, uh, those verses to us? Verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2. Is there any extroverts that are prepared to do that? out loud for us. Otherwise you'll have to hear my voice. Therefore with yourselves, of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, let you all behave as pray for your spiritual milk, so that by it you may go over your salvation, now that you have tasted of the Lord's will. Thanks. Thank you. I'll take it what Peter's doing here is just returning to verse 22 and filling out for us more of what that... that uh, that loving deeply from the heart needs to look like. And because in verse 2, he tells them to long for the pure spiritual milk, there's that word pure again. Uh, uh, what I think he's doing here is he's saying that malice and deceit and so on are like impurities that spoil all of this. They get in and spoil. And instead, like newborn babies, we're to crave this kind of unspoiled, sincere enjoyment of God's word and one another without malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And we haven't got time to go through that whole list, but just, just if we took a few of them, malice. Malice really means just doing wrong to one another. And we think, well, if that brother or sister in the church here has been born again, as Peter's told us here, how can we do wrong to one another? How can we do that if they've been born again? There's, there's no justification whatsoever for, for hurting or doing deliberate harm in our thinking and our words and our actions towards somebody here in the church. Love covers a multitude of sins, Peter says. Must cover a multitude of sins. So rid yourself of malice. It says rid yourself of slander of every kind. What is slander? Slander is speech, whether true or false, which runs down a person. Any speech true or false, which runs down a person. That's slander. Do you and I ever say anything, true or false, which runs down a person? Do you? Peter says, get rid of it. He says, pull up those roots of malice and slander and so on, so that this imperishable seed of the word will grow up in good soil. And if you want a picture to take away with you into the week... Well, we, we, we have it really with, with, with little Josiah, don't we? The baby, the baby who's hungry for milk, as Peter says here. I mean, Angie and, uh, and Chris, you know, what's Josiah like when he's, when he's hungry? Will you tell us? He screams, yeah. And, and will anything, I mean, can you kind of satisfy him with, uh, um, can you offer him something else if he's hungry? Will he perhaps accept a bit of telly or um, maybe a little sleep? He just bellows at it, doesn't he? He goes at it. I've got to have that milk. Screams and screams. 
And I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell you, if you're not familiar with this kind of behaviour, but um, they do it in the middle of the night as well. Oh no. Um, if they want it all the time and they're desperate for it. That sort of desperation, think about the way the baby is desperate for milk. And when you and I say, well, it's really hard to love someone here at Speak Baptist Church. And, and yes, sometimes it is. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? There's your picture. There's your picture. The absolutely desperate hunger of the child for wanting that which is, which is right and which is good, the baby. So, so, so you might go to Steve, or, or, or in due time you might come to me and say, I'm really struggling with this, this situation. You know how so-and-so's hurt me. So they've really hurt me. I, yeah, how can I possibly forgive them? And I have to say, we will show you the picture. We'll show you a picture of Josiah. Take you back to this passage and say, look at that baby as it screams for milk. It's got to have the pure milk. That is the enthusiasm with, with which you are to go after this love that Peter's talking about here. With that passion. Now, I know it's hard, but you've got to do it in a way that that baby craves milk. So that the word and your love as a wrapping to that word is effective. Actually makes a difference. That's what we're called to do. And why can we do that? Well, it's how Peter finishes. He says, you've tasted that the Lord is good. And if you've tasted that the Lord is good, you want more of it. You will simply want more of it. And if this is what Peter's telling us, this is how we get more of him, then we will do it. We will crave that pure spiritual milk. A few months ago, somebody gave me a slice of Tesco's finest baked cheesecake. It was so good, I actually dreamt about it. <laughs> Which is a frightening thought. It just actually came into my dreams. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Peter says. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, then you will want more of it. This is a promise for more, isn't it? It's a taste of what is to come. Christian, Peter says, love one another deeply from the heart. Are you going to do that? Are you going to do that with all the hunger of a baby for milk? You are free to live like that because you've been born again by God's forever word. And if you're a visitor, well, we're holding out to you today something which lasts forever. Those daffodils, a picture of life. And we're holding out to you something which lasts forever. Every word of the Lord grows true. Will you, will you find out more about that? Will you come here again? Will you speak to Steve or I? Will you speak to the person that you've come with or that you've heard from here? Because this is truth that lasts forever. I pray that God will bless that to us. Are we going to finish with a song? Um, Steve, what is it we're going to sing? Behold, behold our gods. It's a song... Before we stand to sing it, finally, it's a song which really talks about the bigness of God who holds the oceans in his hands. Now, if this is the word of that God and it's a word that lasts forever, then how can we not listen to it? How can we not trust it? How can we not rely on it? So we're going to sing about the God who's given us this forever word. I'm going to stand for you now, Steve. Yeah, we're going to start to do this. Uh, you need to be ready for one thing, though. Uh, towards